The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for his kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow our Facebook page and visit shadygrovepca.org. All right, we're looking at Mark 4, uh, 21 to 34. And these are really, you have three parables in Mark. Mark 4 is really all about the seed. And the sower sows the seed. The sower sows the word. And that's Mark 4, 14. But it's the seed. And the seed is a picture of the word. Okay, so we have three parables about the seed. Last week we looked at the parable of the sower. This week we'll look at the parable of the growing seed and the parable of the mustard seed. But then mixed in with that is also either a parable or a metaphor about this lamp being put under a basket. So we'll start there at Mark 4:21. And Jesus said to them, "Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light." If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For, the one, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows, he knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the, sink, in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Let's ask for the Lord's help now. Fathers, we consider this your word. May we see it as it is, the very words of God. And may it um, have its way in our heart. May we not forget what we look like. As we leave from looking at your word, may it be the mirror that uh, speaks into our souls. We ask that you would sanctify us in this truth. Help us to see Jesus and what he has, who he is and what he's done. I ask in your name. Amen. There's two imperatives in this text. The imperatives are always like to start with those. What are the commands of this passage? You have a couple of parables, but right in the midst of it, in verse 23 and 24, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. That's an imperative. And then in the next words are pay attention. Pay attention to what you hear. So the imperatives are coming on the heels of hearing this parable of the sower, of the sower sowing the word, and we're being reminded that some falls on hard ground. And before it even can go down into the ground, a bird comes and eats it. And Jesus says, that's the devil coming and taking the word. Before this sermon, you can even make it out the door, the devil will come and take it. That's a scary soil. 
Another soil, the soil of a heart, is, is this shallow soil, and, and immediately it wants to, the seed will spring up, but because it's so shallow, then it doesn't have the moisture that it needs, and when tribulation and persecution comes, it quickly falls away on account of the word. And then you have this other soil that's sown among thorns, and the thorns are the anxieties of this world, the abundance of uh, the deception of abundance or the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for the rest, the desire for other things, comes in and it chokes the word. But then some seed does fall on the good soil that those who hear it, they accept it and they bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. And I think what Jesus is doing with these next couple of parables is that first, this word seems a bit discouraging. It seems a bit shocking. You're telling me four soils and only one bears fruit to maturity? You're telling me three out of four soils? And you're telling me that out of three out of the four are no bueno? I mean, that's what, you know, is that what we're saying? And so Jesus gives three parables here, two parables and a metaphor, to clarify and hopefully bring hope to those who are concerned by Jesus' first seed description that only one in four is growing a harvest for the kingdom. And so he begins with telling us about the parable of the lamp, then he proceeds to talk about the growing seed and the mustard seed, but all three of these parables are telling us something about the growth of the kingdom of God in the seed. In the first parable, or the metaphor, the growth is remaining hidden but it's gonna be made manifest. It can't stay hidden. It will become manifest. In the second parable, we see in the growing seed that it's a mysterious, miraculous uh, growth of the kingdom. God is doing something that we can't see, we can't figure out, and it's miraculous. And the last parable, the mustard seed, is this. we're getting the contrast between this miniature beginning and this massive growth of the kingdom. And so let's consider those together. Um, and so in the first one, it's a little confusing. Jesus says, um, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under, under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. And I think the idea of what Jesus is getting at here is that people are wondering, is this some kind of secret society? Where only a few people are in the know and everybody else is in the dark? Is this how this works? And Jesus is, because Jesus is saying, I'm speaking in parables, and some of these things are hidden from people because they're blind, but he's saying it's not going to stay that way. It can't remain hidden. It will be made manifest. It's like trying to hold that, that big blown up beach ball and trying to keep it underwater. How long is that going to work? Well, you can hold it underwater for a little while, but then you, you just can't suppress it. It's going to bust out of the water, and you will see that big beach ball. Well, same with a light. When you have a light, you don't stuff it under the bed or hide it. The light will make its way, and you want to let the light out. And Jesus is saying that about the kingdom of God, that he is the lamp. He's the light of the world. And in him was life. And that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness hasn't overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world, the kingdom and the king. 
He's in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world didn't know him. He came to his own, and his own people didn't receive him. But to all who did receive him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but born of God. You remember these verses. The word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory. The glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The light can't stay hidden. It will be made manifest. Jesus is this lamp. And he's telling us, pay attention then to how you hear. Pay attention. He says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and more will be, and still more will be added to you. For one who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Difficult to understand. What, what is Jesus getting at here? And I think the problem is not Jesus, it's our understanding that's hard to understand some of these things. Jesus is saying, pay attention to what you hear and with the measure you use. And the, I think what Jesus is getting at here is either your measure, if you start measuring with belief and you believe these things from Christ, then it will be added to you and you'll have more faith. If you start with hope and you believe in hope, you're going to be given more hope. If you start with love and you love these things, your heart's going to grow and there'll be more love. But if you start with skepticism, if you start with doubt and you start with unbelief, well, even what you had, potential talents, we're told in the parable of the talents, the one who hid his talents, even that was taken from him because he went and buried it. And so Jesus is saying, pay attention then how you hear because the prior intent of your heart determines the understanding of Jesus that you will have as the outcome of the end. There's a prior intention going on of our hearts. And Jesus is saying it will all be made manifest and it can't remain hidden. His kingdom will reveal itself and he'll reveal the hidden things in our hearts. So you need to come clean now and see that he is the king who's come to save you, to ask him to make you clean to wash you from your sins, to make you new from the inside out. And then you have this, I'll come back to the middle parable, take a little more time there, but the last parable is this parable of the mustard seed. And as I said, it was a contrast between something that started so small, so insignificant. I mean, a, a little mustard seed is apparently like a little millimeter. It's just tiny. This tiny, tiny little seed, how could it end up being this tree that is big enough that birds can come and make their nest. How can that be? Well, Jesus is talking about himself. He's the king. And every Christmas, you probably get this Christmas card. And the Christmas card goes like this. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant. He grew up in another village where he worked in a carpenter's shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family or owned a home. He didn't go to college. He never lived in a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. When he was 33, when the tide of public opinion turned against him, his friends ran away. One denied him. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for his garments, the only property he had on earth. And when he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Twenty centuries have come and gone, and today he's the central figure of the human race. 
I am well within the mark when I say that all the armies that have ever marched and all the navies that have ever sailed and all the parliaments that have ever sat and all the kings that have ever reigned put together have not affected the life of this on earth as much as this one solitary life that started so small, so insignificant. Because Jesus is bringing in the kingdom of God. We just sang about it. Hail to the Lord's anointed. And we read this morning that it's, it's, he's bringing, a, he's ransomed people for God and they're gonna reign on the earth and it's people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people. And it's a people that can't be numbered. It's the, the word, it's beyond arithmetic. It's this massive number of people. When we talk about at Christmas, we always read, to us a child is born, to us a son is given. To, to, him, to us a son is given, the government will be on his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there'll be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, how, God, how is God going to do this? The zeal of the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies will do this. And we're told in Isaiah 42 that he won't grow faint or be discouraged until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law and he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street and a bruised reed he won't break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He's bringing in this kingdom. And as J.C. Ryle has said, Roman emperors and heathen philosophers, sometimes by force and sometimes by argument, tried in vain to check the progress of Christianity. They might as well have tried to stop the tide from flowing or the sun from rising. In a few hundred years, the religion of the despised Nazarene, the religion which began in the upper chamber of Jerusalem, had overrun the civilized world. It was professed by nearly all of Europe, by a great part of Asia, and by the whole northern part of Africa. And it started with just Jesus and a few men, and they changed the world. And Paul finds himself standing before these great authorities, and he's standing before King Agrippa in Acts 26, and he's trying to convert the king, and he says to the king, for the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly, for I'm persuaded that none of these things have escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. Everybody knows about this, king. Don't pretend to be stupid. It hasn't done in a corner. You know about this. It's growing. It will be made manifest. The second parable right in the middle of this is this amazing truth of how the kingdom grows. The parable of the growing seed, only found in the Gospel of Mark. And it is a balm. It is an encouragement to any parent who labors to see the seed being watered, and and hopefully the Lord growing it in their children. To every Sunday school teacher, to every children's church worker, to every missionary and minister, to every family member sharing with another family member the gospel. What do we need to be reminded? The parable of the growing seed. It's what is missing often in your church growth manuals, in your missionary training manuals, because everything seems to be so formulaic that if you do A, and you do B, you will get C. And so often, you know, we make all of our plans 
I remember talking to a church planner a couple of times, one in particular, said, everything that I was told to do failed. <laughs> but the Lord grew his church in the ways that were just the most unexpected of ways. You just found out about this shoebox. Like, it, the Lord just did it. It was what he wanted to do. He has a waves of working that we don't even understand. And so this uh, parable of the growing seed is a reminder. We don't usher in the kingdom. We don't take any credit for it. And we're not ultimately, I mean, and that's helpful because, you know, there's been times where I hear people say, you know, I went and heard this other person and, and you know, and you hear of other people getting saved or coming into the kingdom and, and you're thinking, well, they've been sitting under, under my teaching for 15 years or something, you know, and they go and they get and like, and you like realize the Lord is completely sovereign over all of that. One year you're growing a garden, you get a bumper crop. The next year, you know, the squash bugs, you know, eat your, eat your squash bug or your plants and they just fall over and you're like, or nothing, nothing grew. What happened? You see, our job is in this parable of the growing seed is the farmer does have some work that he has to do, right? He has to, he has to lay down, he has to scatter seed. We see that in verse 26. And then, of course, when it's ripe, that you have to put in the sickle because the harvest has come. There's work to be done. But what's the sermon title? <laughs> I love this verse 27. He sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. So sleep. Get some sleep. I love the New, new uh, American Standard. There's two versions of the New American Standard Bible. There's 1977 and the 1995. But the 1995 gives the variation of Psalm 127.2 that God gives sleep to those he loves, but it's he gives even when we sleep is also grammatically possible. And so get some sleep and let the Lord grow his kingdom. Commit your plans to the Lord. Do your work, but be able to rest and recognize who's, 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 who's the government, whose shoulders is it on? Not mine, it's on his. And so we can rest. You've heard maybe this funny story before I've told, and I don't know where I found the story. I think it was in James Montgomery Boyce, but I, and I don't know where he got the story. But there's a humorous story told about George Whitfield and John Wesley, and they were itinerant preachers, and they were out preaching uh, out in the open, and after their day of labors, they came back, and I guess they were in the same room. And when it was time for bed, they both got down to pray, and Whitfield prayed and committed the souls to God that they had preached to, and then he started to get back up and go to bed. And, and if you remember, these two had later, their tensions even grew worse, but John Wesley was of an Arminian persuasion. George Whitfield was of a Calvinistic persuasion, heavy on God's sovereignty, John Wesley would have been heavy on free will and man's ability to change the world and so, or, or change God. And so Whitfield gets in bed and Wesley is over here praying and he says to him, is this where your Calvinism leads you? And so he just starts to keep praying. And so Whitfield goes to sleep. He wakes up a couple hours later and he looks over and he sees, he sees Wesley still on his knees, but asleep. So he gets up and he taps him on the shoulder and says, is this where your Arminianism leads you? It's meant to be funny. but <laughs> So the idea is that 
it's good to pray. And it's certainly, this is a reminder that we do need to pray. But we also need to sleep. We are finite. God is the only one who's never exhausted, never gets tired, never slumbers, never sleeps. But we need sleep. And the farmer does something pretty amazing here in verse 27. He just, he just sleeps and rises, meaning he's not doing anything. There are certain things that we cannot do. And so we see that this growth of the kingdom is miraculous. We're told in verse 28 that the earth produces by itself. And that Greek word is where we get the Greek word automatic, automatos. And it means without any cause, without something causing it, or by itself. And it occurs only one other place in the whole New Testament. It's the story of Peter being miraculously released from prison in Acts 12 when the saints are praying for him, praying earnestly for his release because Herod had killed James and he wanted to kill Peter. But you remember the angel comes and, and delivers him, and he's bound by two chains, the two soldiers, and all of a sudden the angel's doing things, and, and Peter doesn't even recognize what's happening. And this angel is leading him out, and Acts 12.10 says, when they passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. It's automate. It's automatic. It was something didn't, nothing else touched it. It was completely a miracle. God did it. That's what the Lord does. And so Spurgeon says about this passage, Charles Spurgeon, you have no finger in the actual process, though you may promote the conditions under which it is produced. Life is a mystery. Growth is a mystery. Ripening is a mystery. And these three mysteries are a fountain sealed against all intrusion. God is the one who brings the growth, the sprouting, the growing, the pollinating, the maturing. It's all in God's hands, not ours. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. God has to do it. And how this is helpful for us is it frees us from pride and delivers us from envy. That's the very argument in 1 Corinthians 3. It says, where there is envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I'm of Paul, or another, I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul? Who then is Apollos? But ministers among through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow work workers, you're God's field, you are God's building. And so give God all the glory. And then we see this maturity of the growth. Notice that it's very gradual. There's this process of maturity. It's, very, it's a necessary growth. It will happen. First, the blade. Then the ear. Then the full grain of the ear. God will sanctify his people. He is going to conform us to the image of his son, but he does it so slowly and meticulously. He brings the maturity, and it's like you don't ask a kid, well, how much did you grow last night? You know, did you, you, know, you can't measure the growth in a day. Some of you, it, it seems like since COVID, like some of the, all the kids in the youth group, they all like shot up like six inches. They're, I've never felt shorter. And... They just grew, but it wasn't overnight. 
it was the, a meticulous, gradual growth. And we're told in Proverbs 4.18 that the road the righteous travel is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter to the full light of day. It's going to happen. And so you that are weary, wanting to see that somebody special, somebody that you love come to Christ, keep praying. Keep praying. Keep laboring. We're told here that there's also a need for patience. The farmer doesn't have to, the farmer can't rush the harvest. He can't speed the harvest up. The, har, the, the, the farmer just has to sleep, rise night and day. When the time comes, then comes the harvest. But it's a call for patience. Isn't that what James tells us? Therefore, be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit on the earth, waiting patiently for it until he receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. It is coming. The king has come, and it will come in its fullness. Are you ready when it does break in in its fullness? Have you given your life to Jesus? Because this little tiny seed that started, and it grew and grew, and we're told in this gospel, it just says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And how does it end? It ends with Jesus being treated horribly. Terrible trial. Terrible beating. Terrible crown of thorns. Terrible crucifixion. Terrible everything. And the very executioner is a Roman centurion. And it's the climax to the book. And he says, truly, this was the Son of God. Taking you back to the very beginning of the book. It's the gospel. The Son of God has come. And it ends with a Roman declaring that it actually was part of the executioner saying, nobody died a death like this. No one has done what he's done. It's finished. He's come to pay a debt that we could never pay. And he's paid it in its fullness. We must receive it and acknowledge our need for our debt to be forgiven. And he will do it. He loves his church. He loves his people. He came to save sinners. Give yourself to him. Let's pray. Father, grow your kingdom in our hearts. Holy Spirit, don't let this word be snatched from us. May it bring rest to our souls. Those who are weary, may it bring encouragement. Those who labor. Lord, we think of even Matt and Ellen, our missionaries here today, encourage their hearts and the work in Honduras. That, Lord, they can't be there right now to control or make it happen. They have to watch you grow the seed. And we pray for all of us, Lord, as we wait for you to do the work that we cannot do. We ask that you would give the increase. We trust you. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.